Welcome back, everybody, to Brown Bag Bets, powered by Betsperts. We are your daily dose of quick hit handicapping and sports betting picks. And as you can see, the inmates are running the asylum today. Andy is off trying to figure out how to bet on a Corn Ferry Tour event with the PGA Tour logo on it with Ryan Noonan. So go over there once we are done here and check that out. Uh, and then Noops is not here. I was just told he's not here today. Uh, I'm assuming he's standing in line trying to get tickets to the World Series for Game 3. But nevertheless, uh, I am producer Dan. I am joined by Matt Rooney, who is always here on Tuesday. And as you can see by that absolutely just absolutely awesome and fire Chicago Bears fire. starter That's jacket. Little starter, the little starter zipper. I love it, too. With the, yes, it's just a beautiful, beautiful piece of clothing. Matt is pretty fired up about his Chicago Bears, who got a massive win. And of all the notes that I've written down, I didn't write down the final score, but it was 33 to 14, Dan. 33 could have been 40, but we took a knee on like the two uh, as time was expiring there. Uh, Bears a lot. Patriots, not a lot. Shout out to the Deep Dive DJ Discord. One of the guys in there played uh, Bears to win by 19 to 24 points. At like some crazy odds <laughs> and hit that. So shout what out the to hell did that payout. Agent, I think it was I'll, while while I'm letting you go on and on and just talk about how great the Bears are. I'll see if I can find out what the price was. But uh, yeah, what are your thoughts after uh, for and again uh, bearing the lead here a little bit too. Like shout out to Noops, Justin Fields, first touchdown score. I hit that one cash. thanks to Noops. Yeah, so shout out to Noops for getting that. He's not even here to crow. Like the Phillies are in the World Series. The 76ers got their first win of the season. He hit a first touchdown score prop, and he's not here today. So we're, we're going to have to just cheer for him. Uh, vicar- live vicariously through Noops. It's his world. We're all living in it. But Matt, what were your thoughts on what you saw from your Chicago Bears? Man, I'm going to do my best here because I have, since day one of the Bears, season as a Bears fan I've been trying to take the rational approach when they hired the new uh, the new regime and pretty much not punted on this season but traded assets traded Khalil Mack you know cleared up cap space for next year and just kind of said this year is going to be about growth and development try not to get too low in the bad weeks I'm going to try to not get too high in the good weeks but uh man that that was a really really fun week or fun night of football and, and Justin Fields all we've really wanted to see from him are the flashes to start happening. You know, the, the Pittsburgh Monday night game last year was the one that stuck out, but that was kind of it. And going into this year, I know lack of an, much of an offensive line, lack of weapons around him, but you wanted to see some flashes of him being the best player on the field of, of him, you know, play not every mate. And you saw a couple of those last night. You saw the spin out of a sack fire across the body to Cole Komet for, you know, a 30 yard gain down the sideline. You saw the quick screen where he, pump fake the defensive end, move the arm angle to the uh, the sidearm throw and kind of whipped one out to Khalil Herbert for a touchdown. You saw his ability to run the football, and they did a good job of getting him involved in plan design runs um, as, as well as obviously he's going to have to improvise that offensive line. But there are a couple moments too where, you know, earlier in the year people liked using the screenshots with him where he'd scramble for 10 yards, but if you look downfield, he's got a touchdown. Uh, there was one play last night, one or two, where he started scrambling, pulled back, found somebody open down the, down the field for, you know, 20-yard pickup. So, just want to see signs of progress from Justin Fields and the offense and the team. And man, that was a, that was a team that's not very good, but is well coached. The second half bears is becoming a thing. Um, and they played really well. It was a nice positive step for a rebuilding team and a quarterback that, you know, we're, we're hoping is the guy finally. Yeah. So shout out to Christopher Davis and the deep dive DJ's discord. He, he max bet bears a 19 to 24 point margin of victory at 110 to one. Uh, oh, Max God. bet it for all of nine dollars, but hey, I mean, still who cares? 
That also, yeah, really like show. I, I like that comment. I, I tweeted it earlier this morning. I was about to feel bad for Mac Jones for for yeah. getting pulled there, but then I remembered that he intentionally went high spikes into a safety's nuts, so he deserves to get benched and to be booed and all that stuff. Yeah, it was a wild game. Like we went into it thinking, oh well, Bill Belichick against a young quarterback and a new coaching staff, and it's going to be ugly. And it ended up being very fun. There, the ten minutes when Bailey Zappi was t- the uh, Tom Brady Ooh, part two was awesome and then it turns out that he wasn't he was a rookie quarterback who didn't play very well and the patriots have a quarterback conundrum on their hands because neither one of them are very good uh shout out to i mean i think the best sign of the bears having a regime that might actually have an idea of what they're doing is uh, the, the previous regime never realized that you should just design runs for justin fields and it mm-hmm. only took this one about half a season to yeah. figure it out uh, as a Falcons fan, I am lamenting the fact that they could have drafted Justin Fields instead of Kyle Pitts, who they don't use. And Justin Fields in the RPO college ass offense that Arthur Smith is running right now would be awesome. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, and then if you look at the NFC right now, there are Ooh, seven, bad. the Bears are three and four. They are one of seven teams in the NFC that are three and four. The Rams are three and three. And there's two, two and five teams who are Carolina and New Orleans who are in the NFC South with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who are division. So the more things change in the NFL, the more they stay the same because the only team that you can say is not in the playoff picture right now in the NFC at all, the Detroit lions, uh, which is mean. I have nothing against the lions. I'd like to see them be good. Uh, that said, according to DVOA, the bears have the fourth hardest remaining schedule in the NFL. So it's still an uphill battle for them to get into the playoffs, but it's uh, very impressive. Nevertheless, the other side of things, the Pats have the third hardest schedule remaining, according to DVOA. They had two big wins. Everything seemed to be trending in the right direction with the Bears at home. Uh, it imploded on them. They have the Jets. Uh, they go to New York to play the Jets. They have the Colts. They have the bye week. They play the Jets again. And then they're at Minnesota and then Buffalo. So that's a really tough stretch of games with three divisional games in there. And then the two, after they play uh, after the Colts, who are really bad and going to be starting a second-year quarterback, but a guy who's never played before, the next two worst teams they play are Vegas and Arizona, and those are road games in consecutive weeks. The Raiders so it's not the easiest of road games. Uh, things are a little bit of a mess in New England right now, so it's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, that was a weird – what did you make of the quarterback decisions from them last night, going to Jones and then so quickly going to Zappi? I feel like whoever you started – you probably should have at least given a chance. Like it feel like Belichick kind of gave in to the crowd a little bit, which is not something that I would expect from him. And like, I know Zappy gave him that quick spark, but obviously it flamed out pretty quickly. And then it was Jacoby Myers who after the game, it was kind of saying like, I, I really think we kind of did Mac Jones dirty. And it seemed like you kind of have a little bit of a divide there. It seemed like a very interesting choice. And I know Jones didn't look good early, but like, man, you really just pulled the plug on your first round quarterback real quickly. Yeah, it's hard to say. Don't know how healthy he is coming back from the injury. I mean, healthy enough. If he wasn't healthy, he shouldn't have even been on the field. Yeah, but I mean, they they turned the offense over to a weird Matt Patricia hybrid thing. Like nothing they did made any sense this offseason. Like Drew and Andy talked about it a lot in the preseason when they were previewing the Patriots and and Mm -hmm. over and over again, just like what the decision-making there on offense didn't make any sense. And yeah, I mean, it wasn't really working with Mac Jones and and Zappy had played. Okay. I don't really mind necessarily like trying to ride the hot hand with Zappy. If you can't, if the, like if you think that Mac Jones is the starter and he's struggling and you have this guy who's played well, like taking a shot and seeing what's happening, what happens, 
maybe, but yeah, I think you just I, keep starting Zappy and you have a quarterback in Mac yeah. Jones coming off a high ankle. It's not like he just like yeah. turned an ankle. He had a high ankle sprain. It's like, dude, like you have an excuse to keep him out for pretty much as long as you want. So ride the hot hand in Zappy. And as soon as that starts to kind of fizzle out, Oh, Mac Jones's ankle is healing up. He's going to be back next week. I feel like that would have been the logical yeah. um, reasoning instead of just bringing him back on Monday night football, only to pull him you know, three series later. Yeah, but like hypothetically, if he's healthy enough to play, wouldn't you rather him be playing in a home game against the Bears instead of a road game against a divisional opponent? I, I don't know. Like who knows? The, the the what appears to be the case right now is the old if you have two quarterbacks, like if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks kind of thing. Like that's kind of feels like where we are with yeah. them. Uh, moving on, <clears throat> because Matt's here, I didn't know if we were going to want to talk about this, and I'm assuming you'll talk about this with Friday on Friday with Noobs and Andy, but who knows? We just kind of throw it together on Fridays and see what sticks. But the World Series gets underway on Friday in Houston. Phillies, Astros. Uh, the Phillies are expected to start Aaron Nola in game one uh, to the surprise of nobody, and the Astros have not announced it, but it would seem to be fairly surprising if it wasn't going to be Justin Verlander, the Phillies are FanDuel has Verlander listed just for the for, oh, so I looked this morning. And maybe it's not it. officially official, but that's who they have listed. If so they have it listed, then that's who it's going to be, and that wouldn't be surprising yeah. at all. Uh to win the series, the Phillies are plus 165. The Astros are one minus one ninety. I completely forgot these teams played the final series of the regular season. Yeah. Uh it, it was nothing weird though, because could... like Houston was playing for nothing and Philly right. was our like Philly, I think, needed one or right. I think Philly, Philly clinched because, like, in a loss because Milwaukee needed to win out and Philly lost. No, Philly, least, Philly won. They won the first game of the series to clinch. They won 3 okay. nothing. I think, was the final score. And then they had the double hangover lineup the last right, two games right. of the regular season. Yeah. Verlander struck out a ton of guys. Valdez struck out. Like, the, the Astros threw Verlander and Valdez because they knew they were going to be off. So those guys dominated, like, glorified quad A lineups for the Phillies. Yeah. So nothing you can glean there. Kind of feels a little bit uh, uh, team of destiny again from the NL East for the for the Astros. However, uh, the Phillies were just nine games over 500 in the final three months of the season in October. They were 11 and 14 in September. So unlike the Braves last year and the Nationals two years ago, this wasn't a team that just had a bad couple of months and then got hot. Like the Phillies got hot out of nowhere, which is fascinating. Uh, what are your expectations? I know you were eyeing some MVP odds. You don't have an MVP pick right now but what are your expectations if you were going to pick an mvp who do you like tell me what you think of the world series um might be the easy way out but i think if i'm going to pick an mvp i think i'd grab one on each side i'd probably lean towards bryce harper on the phillies just because i think the only way they win this series is if he is their best player because he is their best player maybe one of him or schwarber i didn't check the odds i'm sure they have fairly similar odds but i would probably try grabbing one of those two like Altuve would have been my guy to take a look for, but like, man, he's got the shortest odds and he's got one hit in the entire, no pun intended, but the shortest odds there, but he's got the, sorry, I had to take a shot there. Um, but he, I mean, he's had a terrible playoffs. He's just got the one hit. Um, I, I don't know. I probably look at like a, like a Jordan Alvarez or something. I think there was some value on him. He wasn't really on that big name of the big wave, uh, big first wave on the, on the FanDuel board. He's a guy who can very clearly, like a Jorge Soler, while he's not going to give you like like Soler last year, well, he's not going to give you much defensively. He's very easily a guy who can hit three or four home runs in a series, and if he does that, and the Astros win, he's probably your MVP. So, I'm just leaning towards left-handed power bats, I guess, is my World Series MVP leans. So, you obviously, want to price shop this stuff. Uh, but I just brought up DraftKings because it was the easiest one, and I couldn't find them on FanDuel this morning. Uh, Alvarez and Harper are co-favorites at DraftKings for World Series MVP at plus 650. 
Uh, then it's Verlander, Kyle Tucker, for some reason. He must have. Yeah, I saw that. Why is he there? I don't know. Framber Valdez, Alex Bregman, and then Schwarber. I mean, it's to me, Bregman it's almost and Schwarber like, aren't bad looks either. Bregman's I think been really maybe good it's hot. I, I think maybe if you're looking for one guy on each team, I'm really not sure on the Astros. M- maybe it's you take longer shots with Guriel at 30 to 1. Maybe I think if you take an affiliate, I just go uh, Hoskins because I like longer shots. Like, so yeah. basically, so basically, what was Schwarber's number. Schwarber's number was uh, 1,300, which isn't bad either. Okay, I, um, I think I like that. Yeah, I mean, so in the playoffs so far, Pena, Bregman, Gurriel, McCormick, and Alvarez all have over 880 OPS in the playoffs right now. For the Phillies, it's really, like you said, it's been Schwarber. Har- I mean, Harper is super Saiyan right now, and then Hoskins, and those three guys. Real Muto is the only other guy in their lineup with an OPS above 700 in the playoffs. Like you said, it's one of those three guys. Maybe it's Harper. Uh, maybe if there's a catastrophe on planet Earth over the course of the World Series, you bet Castellanos. Um, but yeah, I mean, if I was going to go with, I'd probably go a little bit with the longer odds and take Hoskins uh, to 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 win there. Um, do you have a what, who do you, who do you think is going to? Before I'm in sure Friday, you'll get into the games individually, like Phillies plus one sixty five, the Astros minus one ninety. Do you like the Phillies at one sixty five? Like if you were going to bet it, what do you My- think? We talked a lot about this a little bit before the show, looking at all the props they have. And I think I saw uh, the game one series prop. I would lean Houston game one. I, I think Houston probably wins the World Series, but if I'm betting this and I, I want to find some value on it, Houston game one Philly series at plus 510, I think it is, is probably the way I'd lean. And I'd probably try and hope that I, I get a little bit, of, I get Verlander, vintage Verlander in game one and see him go out and kind of shove against the Phillies. But I, I think at the plus five ten number, I know Houston's been great, but Philly does have the team of destiny feel, and this seems like the best Houston team that we've seen of the three team of destiny NLT NLEs teams yeah. they've played. Um, but I think the the game one Philly series just out of that value. I, I think it's the World Series; anything can happen, and if Philly can run into a have a good uh, couple starts from Zach Wheeler, from Aaron Nola, I don't know game one, but. Like, Get a couple of good starts, get a few home runs. You never know what happens when this series gets late. And uh, yeah, I think that's my lane. I think that's the best value here at the, the plus five ten number with the Houston game one Philly series. But yeah, I mean, probably if I'm, I'm doing that, and then maybe an exact score of, of Houston four one or Houston four two. Yeah, if I was going to bet it, I'd probably just bet Astros game one Astros series at plus one or minus one hundred five right now. The Phillies have the team of destiny thing, and they might just hit enough home runs to win this series. Like they've. They've just been mashing the shit out of the ball for the postseason so far, and maybe that just continues when they go to to Citizens Bank Park for games three, four, and maybe five. Like that's going to be an intense environment. However, if there's a team that knows how to deal with hostile road crowds, it's the Houston Astros. The Phillies have had. It's two- insane uh, how good yeah. they are on the road. Yeah, I know they're good at home, but like they're just yeah. they're unflappable on the. Yeah, road. I mean they've been dealing with it for four years now, all the cheating stuff and all of that kind of stuff, and. They're used to it, and Philly is going to be the most insane environment they played in. Like, I was at Game 3 of the World Series in Atlanta last year. It was incredible, absolutely incredible, but Philly is just different. That said, Philly's had kind of two issues during the regular season. Uh, their bullpen is just notoriously unreliable, and their defense is particularly bad. They were 25th in the MLB in defensive runs saved this year, but their bullpen's been pretty good in the postseason, a 319 bullpen ERA. The Astros' bullpen ERA in the postseason is a 0.82, and they had the best uh, bullpen ERA in the regular season. The Astros did, so their bullpen has elevated its level of play in the postseason, but it was very good all year, and the Phillies wasn't. Man, those two pitching matchups are going to be awesome to start this series, but it kind of feels like 
you're, these are going to be two teams that know how to get into bullpens. And if that happens, it's a massive edge to the Astros. So yeah. like head says, bet the Astros heart says, don't mess with the team of destiny thing. So I'm just not going to do it. Yeah. I, I think honestly, just grabbing a couple world, like grabbing, grabbing a couple long shot odds, whether that's world series MVP, mm-hmm. whether it's an exact series price and just trying to have some fun with it is probably the way to go. And then just bet game by game, because this series is going to be really, really hard to predict. Yeah, if, if, if there was like a storybook ending kind of thing available to the Astros, which there isn't because they're cheaters, like Trey Mancini having somehow playing and having the series of his life at 71, 70 to uh-huh. one, but like, no, like Castellanos is 40 to one. Chaz McCormick is 50 to one. He's been hitting the hell out of the ball in the postseason. But it's also his like first World Series, really. Like, I don't know. I'm just looking forward to it and, and probably not actually watching it because I don't want either team to win. Uh Nevertheless, we move on. Uh, we are both college football guys. Uh, you can listen to us break down what happened this past week in college football at 2 p.m. today on the same YouTube channel on the Blogger Bowl. And you can hear me complain about Texas football, which nobody wants to listen to. Uh, but we will talk about uh, we will spin it forward here and talk about some bets for the weekend. Uh, I will let you go first because my uh, university, the University of Texas, is on a bye week. However, your fandom is Notre Dame. They are playing this weekend, and they are on your card already. You have two picks. Take us through them. Uh, yeah, first I can start with Notre Dame. I really like the uh, under 47.5 there against Syracuse. Um, Syracuse is a team that likes to run the football. I know they threw 26 times against Clemson, but that's more than they usually throw. Uh, they're a team that's going to try to run the ball, especially at home. I think try and just kind of keep that – game at their pace um that's a weird place to go and play Notre Dame also a team that is not by any means very dynamic offensively they are going to try to run the ball and then they're going to try to find Michael Mayer and play action that's just kind of what they do uh Drew Pine after a couple pretty good games against Carolina and BYU has really kind of come back to not quite the the Cal Marshall quarterback that we saw but kind of somewhere in the middle there so I think both teams are really going to try and run the football hang on to possession and keep this a, a low scoring kind of ground and pound type football game. And I think close to 50 points for me uh, is a little bit too much. And oddly enough, like Syracuse is a three point favorite now, which they should be. I think this opened up at Notre Dame, like minus two, which made absolutely no sense to me. I believe I saw that somewhere on Saturday, unless somebody gave me some wrong information. I am almost positive. That's what I heard. So I thought that was very strange, but I think that line is right about where it should be. Not going to touch it because as bad as Notre Dame has been against bad teams so far this year, They've kind of been good against good teams uh, or at least played well enough and have found themselves in all of those games. So I'm not really going to touch that line, but I do like the under. Um, And then I'm just I think I'm getting to the point where I'm just going to kind of start blindly betting Wake Forest every week because I think they're just keep being underrated. I think they're a very good football team. I think Louisville is very average and Wake Forest has been able to go on the road. They've been at home. They've been able to do whatever they want offensively against whoever they want. Sam Hartman will never get Heisman votes or be there, but he's having that type of a good year. Uh, They're coming off a blowout win against Boston College. He balled out against Clemson, played really well at Florida State. Like I said, doesn't matter if he's home or on the road. I know Malik Cunningham and Louisville are good, but they've been really – he's good, I should say. Louisville's not all that good. They've had a very up-and-down season, so has Malik Cunningham. And Wake Forest has just kind of been the model of consistency going into whoever they play and just kind of like we're going to put up 30-plus points, and I don't think you can keep up with us, and I think that's kind of what happens on the road. So I, I like Wake Forest. I think that's kind of my, uh, my my steady pick throughout the rest of the season I'm leaning towards. Yeah, Dave Clawson, he, uh, he, he's been a little bit salty all year uh, because people disrespect Wake Forest and said after their game the other day, quote, I'm sure when all of our 35-year-old 15th-year players graduate next year, we'll come crashing back down to earth like everyone says we will. 
Uh, so yeah, uh, the Syracuse Notre Dame one, I like that pick a lot. Uh, Syracuse, their defense has actually been really good this year, and they did a good job of forcing turnovers against Clemson. Their offense a little shaky in a step up in competition. I have two picks on my card already, and these I'm betting on two teams I absolutely detest, but nevertheless, you have to make the picks when you see them, and you cannot, uh, you cannot, you hate USC. Well, I don't like Lincoln Riley. Um, so, but I am taking them minus 15 at Arizona. Uh, Arizona has been a little bit friskier than people have thought they might be under Jed Fish, but the problem for them is they cannot play defense even a little bit. They are 126 in the country in EPA per play defense and last in the Power Five by a good by a good margin in opponent adjusted defensive efficiency. USC is going to be angry now, having two weeks to prepare for this game coming off the loss to Utah. And Lincoln Riley is not the kind of coach who goes easy on people. He is going to want to put points up in this game. The bye week was very well. All time for USC. Jordan Addison is listed as day to day. He left the Utah game with a knee injury and appears to have uh, missed any serious injury there. And he, like I said, listed as day to day. So USC is going to score. They're going to score a lot in this game. I don't think Arizona is going to be able to keep up. And USC is really good at forcing turnovers as well. So this just feels like a bad spot for Arizona. And the other one is not so much that I believe in Link in uh, Brent Venables and Oklahoma. It's more that I do not believe in Matt Campbell and the Iowa State Cyclones. Uh, this is from our friend Chris Felica. Matt Campbell's Iowa State teams are five and fifteen straight up in games where Iowa State is between a three point three and a half point underdog and a three and a half point favorite. So if the margin is expected to be close, three and a half points on either side, he is five and fifteen at Iowa State. Iowa State has lost eight of its last nine one-score games. Now their offense showed some life in the passing game against a Texas passing defense that's been kind of up and down this year, and we know Oklahoma's defense has not been good at all this year, but with Dylan Gabriel at quarterback, they're a different team, and until a Matt Campbell team shows that they can win a close game, I'm, even though this game's at home, like I'm just not going to believe that they're going to do it until they show me. So, you know, at minus 110 for a money line, like it's one and a half is the spread. You can lay that too, but I just might as well just take the money line here and not worry about a weird one-point how many times have we talked about it on the Blogger Bowl this year? Where Matt Campbell's record as a you know, was it minus three to plus three? Might whether minus minus the range of minus three to plus three, his record against the spread is just brutal in his tenure at Iowa State. So I like that look, and I think the way Dylan Gabriel's playing and I guess played when he, since he's come back from that injury, and the way Oklahoma looks with him, that's gonna be a tough offense for Iowa State to keep up with, even with that secondary having some holes. And we shot we saw them at least figure it out to an extent against Kansas and play better. And I don't, I, I think I, Kansas gives you a better uh, offensive look than Iowa state does even with the backup quarterback. And so I, I like that look a lot with Oklahoma. And our, our good friend leg show magazine in the chat likes uh, Washington state plus eight and a half at home against Utah on Thursday. Yeah, that is an interesting, interesting game. Obviously not a short week because both teams were off this past week, but making the road trip to uh, Pullman is a tough, tough ask on a Thursday night, regardless of how much rest you've had for a Utah team coming off of a big win and eight and a half points is a lot. So uh, yeah, he also says he loves the under in the Iowa state game. He says their games with small spreads tend to go uh, under, uh, also a good look there uh, as well. So uh, shout out to Leg Show, one of our consistent. Uh, I can't take viewers. an Oklahoma under. It might be a good look. <laughs> I just can't bring myself to take an Oklahoma under. I, Iowa State just likes to muck games up. It's they just do. they're awful to watch. They're I. We, I talked about it on the Blogger Bowl. They're basically more efficient Iowa. Yeah. Uh, if you want to hear me rant about Iowa, tune into the Blogger Bowl at two o'clock Eastern on the same channel. 
Uh, let's wrap up the show with some hockey. I have said in my head, looking at your picks here, I have said in my head, I might watch my first NHL game of the season tonight. And it, it involves one of the games on your list. And the other one, I know where you're going with it and I love it. And I will let you explain it, but take us through your hockey picks for the evening. Uh, well, we got a good, we got a good one early in New, uh, in Madison square garden avalanche Rangers. We have the last year's Stanley cup champions going up against last year's Eastern conference finalist in New York who gave Tampa all they can handle in six games. It's a little bit of a contrarian play. Both teams can score. Both teams have gotten off to a little bit of a slow start off or def- defensively. I should say this year, uh, but both teams coming off a couple days off. I think Colorado last played on the 22nd. Rangers played on the 23rd. So it's so not back-to-back for either of them. You have both starting goalies tonight. It's uh, Igor Shesterkin, who was last year's Vezina Trophy winner for the Rangers. Really darn good goalie. Going up against his backup in Alexander Georgiev, who is traded to Colorado in the offseason. He's kind of their guy now. And he's been off to a pretty good start this year. He's got a goals against the 2-7. Actually, if you look at both of their numbers, him and Shesterkin, they're pretty identical. They're, I think they're both... Like one's 2.75 goals against, one's 2.76. Both goalies are 3 0 and 1. And I think in this game, you see a little bit more of a, it's way too early to call it a playoff type game, but a, a bigger game atmosphere, a more playoff style of game, because I think you have two teams that see themselves as Stanley Cup contenders. And I think this one just gets a little bit more tightly contested. I think six and a half is a lot, six and a half is a lot of goals. Then again, no amount of goals is too much for the Colorado Avalanche. So I shouldn't necessarily say that. Uh, but I, I like both starters tonight, to, uh, it, both starters in net for both teams. I, I think this is a, a contrarian under lean with a little bit of value. And I have to, I want to pull up a quote here because I want this one. Uh, Phil, if you don't know the American winger, he was played for Boston. He played for Toronto. He won a few cups with Pittsburgh. He's been bouncing around a few teams the last few years. He is a member of the Vegas Golden Knights, and he plays in his 990th consecutive game tonight. That will break the all-time NHL Ironman record, which is pretty insane because we see you know, the 1,000 game mark is a pretty big milestone for any NHL player. He's about to do that 1,000. He's 10 games away from doing that 1,000 consecutively. Um, but Phil is also a uh, – he, he's a he's a fun-loving guy. I don't I don't want to call him quite the John Daly of hockey, but he he's a fun-loving guy. He's, he doesn't have the greatest, you know, hockey player physique. He's not, you know, cut, cut from marble or anything like that. And I, I took him to score plus 440. What, what were you saying, Dan? He's a dad bod all-star. Yeah, he's a dad bod. There you go. Took him to score tonight plus 440 because not only is he going to break the NHL Ironman record tonight, he's also sitting on 399 goals. So I just think – in a world of, you know, just karma, things happening for a reason, things lining up. I think he scores a goal in his Ironman uh, streak setting game. But I, I was scrolling through Twitter this morning and Sportsnet Canada had a, you know, Phil Kessel article. And they there, there's a quote from Blake Wheeler, who was his, uh, Blake Wheeler's a Winnipeg Jet. He was his teammate um, in the 2014 Olympics in Sochi. And this was, this was a quote directly from him. I remember walking into his room in Olympic Village in 2014 and the amount of candy wrappers stacked up next to his bed. I think that's what he brought to Sochi. <laughs> For Phil, it was like, you know, his favorite candies. Sour Patch Kids were Kessel's number one. And I don't know if it still holds true, but for the longest time, he never drank water. He only drank two blue Powerade. He didn't like the taste of water. So that is the guy who is going to set your all-time NHL Ironman record in a game where we, and rightfully so, we talk about these players in the playoffs who are machines who play through all this who are in the best shape of their lives 
dad bod Phil Kessel, who brings Sour Patch Kids and Blue Powerade with him to Sochi for the Olympics, is about to be your NHL Ironman, and I love it. I think it's awesome. I love Phil Kessel. He's a great hockey player. He's got a couple cups and was a huge part of those Penguins teams. And he's got a chance to score for his 400th goal tonight. So let's take that. Plus 440, over 4-1 to one in game 990 uh, to, to be goal number 400. Let's do it. Let's ride with Phil the Thrill. I love it. What team do you most associate Phil Kessel with? You know, um, it, it's still probably the Penguins, but it's close with that and the Leafs because it, the Leafs was such a interesting ten- – like they never got past the first round, but like he was such a big part of them. And I feel like that's when he became this because of Toronto media. That's kind of when he became this, I don't even want to call it controversial picture or figure, mm-hmm. but like polarizing uh, figure because the, the Toronto media never really liked him. I think because he wasn't, you know, you, you know, your traditional, you know, Jonathan Taves looking hockey player who was all business and serious and, you know, really cared about his diet. He was just a guy who went out and played hockey and was really good. Um, but that's where he became very polarizing because I think he got magnified in that Toronto media. So if you told me Toronto or you told me Pittsburgh, I wouldn't tell you you were wrong. Yeah, I uh, I think of Pittsburgh. I would never root for the Penguins because I think that Sidney Crosby's kind of lame. But uh, anytime you can relate anything in professional sports to professional wrestling, I'm all for it. And the HBK line was just absolutely oh, it was fantastic. The one year that one of the years they won the cup with mm-hmm. him, Hagelin, Benino, and Kessel. So I yep. think of it. I think the penguin and the hot dog. What's the the hot like? The hot dog thing was, uh, it was that was like a made up story that like oh. the media just ran and run, like took and ran. I think it was like honestly something that like the Toronto media somebody tried to trick the Toronto media with and see if they run with it and they ran with it. Gotcha. Yeah. But I don't doubt that Phil Kessel enjoys himself a hot dog. No, I thought it was because he put he put hot dogs in the Stanley Cup though. Because I think that was the I, yeah. Was, I think he was yeah. taking a shot at the Toronto yeah. media there. Which I mean, come on, man. Like, I love it. That can't like. Love Toronto, that. The, the Toronto media and the fan base, for the most part, treated him very unfairly because he was a very good player for them, mm-hmm. and they just didn't get the job done. But like here we are, he's been gone for a long time, and they're still not getting the job done. So <laughs> they're never going to get the job done. The, that the Toronto to lose in exactly seven games last year was maybe <laughs> my favorite bet of all time. I took that right at the beginning of the playoffs, and they were playing Tampa. Tampa was down three two, and I was like, no chance, I'm hedging here, no chance. Toronto's <laughs> Toronto's losing this series in seven. If you want to hear about my favorite bet of all time, tune into the Blogger Ball today at 2 p.m. Eastern. On <laughs> That's a tease. On this same YouTube channel where I will legitimately talk about my favorite, I think the favorite bet I've ever been involved in uh, in my life. I will talk about that at 2 p.m. Uh, go check out YouTube. Uh, go to uh, our YouTube channel and check out the BetSports Golf Show with Andy and Ryan Noonan as they break down the Butterfield Bermuda Championship. That's a, they should probably be the about fifth done by now if they're not done by now. I cannot imagine they went more than 45 minutes on that tournament. Uh, check out the deep dive. Uh, tomorrow night check out all of the replays of everything that we do and then like and subscribe to the youtube channel that makes andy happy go like and subscribe and like our youtube shorts we're now a youtube shorts channel too we're trying some things out so we appreciate your support there those are doing well the first couple of days i'm running out of ideas but we'll figure it out from there and then andy and noobs will be back tomorrow uh no win total wednesday but uh, they will have a bevy of bets for you so for matt i'm dan and they will talk to you guys tomorrow